Stare of an angry woman. Sergeant Crowley walked timidly through the expertly crafted statues at the William Swift stoneworks display. The owner crept up behind him. Can I help you? asked William Swift. The question startled Sergeant Crowley and he jumped. I was looking for something for my wife, he eventually stammered. Take your pick. We pride ourselves on very similitude. You'll not find more lifelike statues anywhere else. Crowley was drawn to a statue of a young woman. It looks kind of familiar for some reason, he said. It's just an average young woman, said Swift. No one famous, nor is it a copy. We only do originals. But where do I know her from? Sergeant Crowley noticed that Swift started to freeze up a little bit when he said this. While Crowley may have been a nervous policeman, he was not without his talents, and it was often said that he had a good investigative nose. Indeed, it was often remarked that it was such a great pity that he was too cowardly to go where his nose often urged him to go. However, he felt a little braver in this non-threatening environment. Statues could not shoot after all, nor make sudden movements, and so there was no need for him to apprehend or point a gun at a statue. Were you thinking of buying this one, Sergeant Crow? It's Crowley. Begging your pardon, Sergeant Crowley. The good news is that we do have a 10% off sale this week. Hang on there a moment said Crowley, until I check something. Swift scratched his head as he watched the policeman walk with a sense of purpose back towards his squad car. I don't like this, he muttered to himself. A few minutes later Crowley arrived back with a folder under his arm. What have you got there? asked Swift. A file of missing persons, said the sergeant, and he pulled a sheet of paper from the very file. Whatever far? asked Swift. See, it resembles this missing woman, said Sergeant Crowley. William Swift began to show signs of panic. Some sweat began to glisten on his forehead. What resembles this missing woman? he asked. The statue, said Crowley. It is exactly like her. Swift took the missing woman's photo and examined it. I must have seen her picture in the papers, William Swift stuttered. I must have got some kind of unconscious inspiration, you know. A remarkable likeness, said Crowley. It's as if you plastered over the contours of her body with a cement mix. Now, now, just what exactly are you implying? Crowley went to touch the statue. The slight touch caused it to move, a wee wobble at first. 
But then it took on a life of its own and rocked back and forth menacingly. It started to sway too much. Watch out! yelled William Swift. But the warning came too late. As the malign policeman tried to desperately get out of the way, the statue crashed down on top of him, smashing it first in two and then into quarters. Crowley screamed with terror and then started into a fit of choking from the rising pottery dust. Are you all right, sir? cried William Swift, pulling the sergeant out from under the heavy broken pieces. Crowley emerged shaking. Swift himself a mess tried to ease the sergeant's panic attack. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You can have any statue you want for free. Take your pick. I will even fix this one for you. Take it away from me. Take it away, cried Crowley retreating at speed towards the safety of his squad car. As he departed, William Swift wiped his forehead with a handkerchief. I can't go on like this. I can't go on. He picked up some pieces of the statue and he began to cry like a baby. In the town hall later that night, Thurlock was very agitated. What is wrong with you men? We've got cops and demon slayers in town. And there's nothing but waiters bitten, art stolen, and... Speak for yourself, said Dr. Winterman. You are employing every demonic trick in the book to beat your nerd rivals. Turlock rubbed his forehead and shook his head. If we all carry on like this, we'll kill the goose that laid the golden egg. On Main Street the following day, Terence pleaded with Deirdre. You cannot leave, he cried. This is a town infested with demon scum. I'm all about the bottom line, Mr. Fleming, and I have already wasted enough of my precious time. But they've ruined my life. These demons have ruined my life. As Deirdre turned and walked away towards her collectible car, young Peter watched admiringly her long bronze legs. It's true, he said. She stopped momentarily in her tracks and looked at Peter. He stood there grinning, leaning up against the shop front like a feckless corner boy. Sizing him up, she taught him another nobody and continued towards her Porsche. I'll take you there to one now, he grinned. Deirdre and her slayers pushed past a frantic William Swift, as Peter and Terence enjoyed matters from the sideline. I plead with you not to go in there, said William Swift. My wife doesn't take kindly to visitors. But his pleas were to no avail. They fell on deaf slayer ears. The young demon slayers carefully approached the house, and William Swift could do nothing but sit down and start to cry once more. The game is up, he sobbed. The game is up. Silence had fallen over the town of Ballystrange, but an angry storm was clearly on the way. The skies above began to darken, and big black clouds strategically came to a halt over William Swift's stoneworks. What's taking you so long? Deirdre shouted at her young workers. Get in there and do your job. On hearing her command, the slayers made themselves awful scarce running past an army of statues of ordinary-looking people, and quickly entered the premises. 
They were barely in the door when an awful shriek was heard from inside. It did not sound human. Upon hearing it, William Swift cried even more. Dear God, dear God, he cried. Silence followed. Then footsteps could be heard, heavy footsteps, walking towards the door. Out stepped one of the young slayers. But she looked wildly different, as if covered in cement. As she stepped out the door, her legs stiffened, and she stopped dead in her tracks. Suddenly a boob, a sizable one at that, a boob that must have made many a man weak at the knees, fell off, sadly smashing into smithereens on the ground. Then the head, her lovely head that many boys must have loved, fell off, just before the rest of the body shattered into thousands of little pieces of concrete. Loud howls could be heard from poor William Swift. He seemed a man on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Oh, dear God, I told them not to go in there. Deirdre walked up to William Swift and shook him violently. What kind of woman have you got in there? She's got a very evil eye, said William Swift, tears streaming down his face. Peter then stepped up and whispered into Deirdre's ear. Deirdre let Swift go and looked towards the door. Don't those idiots know how to kill a gorgon? It's so hard to get good quality staff these days. Everyone lies on their resume. Deirdre then put on some very stylish, dark glasses. With head held high and chest stuck out, she marched inside brandishing her cleaver. When William Swift saw this, he collapsed to his knees, head in hands. Please leave her be, he cried. Please leave my dear wife in peace. From inside could be heard another awful shriek, followed by deadly silence. More footsteps were heard, walking towards the door. Sharp footsteps, from sharp heels. Out marched Deirdre holding an awful head in her hand, an ugly old head that only one man had ever loved with piercing but now lifeless green eyes. Blood dripped from the severed head. When William Swift saw it, he sobbed uncontrollably. Oh, my wife, he cried. My dear beloved wife. Deirdre threw the monstrous head to her remaining slayers and they quickly stuffed it in a bag. As she departed the stoneworks, a group of townsmen had gathered and watched her with great trepidation. So who is next for the head shop? was the last thing they heard her say. Do, 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 do.